Welcome to Gone Native. This is Miles Burke. Today I'm going to be reading for you my latest article titled Migrant Refugees at the Darien Gap are Trapped Between Two Worlds. This article is an update on how the situation around Necoqui, Colombia has changed since 2019 when I was there filming my documentary The Chocolate Dream, which is all about how cacao farming is helping to change lives and improve opportunities and futures for people around in the region around Necoqui. Um, you can see that at uh, youtube.com slash gone native. Um, highly recommend you go check it out if you're interested in that kind of thing. But uh, this is a story of what's happened there since then. So now, early 2022, what we've seen is that the migration crisis has really peaked around Necoqui. The region around there, the geographical area, creates pretty much a, a literal bottleneck uh, between Panama and Colombia. You can see it on the map. The land it narrows down to almost nothing. It's the only place along the Pan-American Highway, which runs from Alaska to uh, all the way down to Patagonia. It's not one highway. It's a system of highways, but it's 30,000 kilometers straight north to south. You can drive. You can cross the entire American continent uh, from north to south. Uh, but the Darien Gap is the one place, it's the 60-mile stretch between where the roads end in Panama and where they end in Colombia that's just jungle. It's uncontrolled, it's ungoverned, it's ungovernable, really, and a lot of people are against finishing the highway through that region for a lot of reasons, um, some of which are definitely good ones, like um, the road, as far as they have extended it, has resulted in severe deforestation around the area. There's a lot of sensitive ecosystems, there are indigenous groups, who live there. Um, there's also a lot of criminality which passes through the area, unfortunately. But it's just kind of fascinating to me that a place like that still exists in, in 2022. But anyway, this is about that because uh, migrants have really been piling up in that area since they, if they end up in South America, people coming from countries like Haiti, uh, other countries in the Caribbean, North Africa, the Middle East, places like Syria, Sudan that have been suffering from a lot of political violence and economic instability. So just thousands, tens of thousands of people have been passing through that area. And it's such a narrow strip of land and it's so just unmanageable that it's it's a really difficult situation. So this article is all about that. Um, so let's get into it. Migrant refugees at the Darien Gap are trapped between two worlds. The literal and metaphorical bottleneck of El Tapón del Darien between Colombia and Panama creates an imposing barrier for migration. Since 2019, when I visited Necocli on the Gulf of Urabá in Colombia, near the border with Panama and El Tapón del Darien, or the Darien Gap, the small town has become the site of a truly astonishing chapter in the ongoing odyssey of mass refugee migration from around the world. Over the last few years, tens, perhaps hundreds of thousands of people have passed through the region around Necocli on their way into Panama. From there, they will continue north through Central America, Mexico, and thence to the U.S. border. At least, that's the plan. Whether they make it across that border, even to the border, is the subject of untold numbers of desperate human stories unfolding right now, at this very moment, while the rest of the world frets and wrings its hands over the Omicron COVID-19 variant. From Necocli, migrants must secure a spot on a lancha, or a small motorboat, to cross the choppy waters of the Gulf of Urabá to Sapsuro, Capurganá, or one of the other small communities on the far side. Still technically inside Colombia, but well inside what's considered the Darien region. From that point on, there are no roads through the gap. No official ones, anyway. The few that exist are meandering, muddy tracks used by traffickers and indigenous people and little patrolled by either the Colombian or Panamanian military. 
Many people who can't buy their way onto a lancha decide to strike out overland on their own and face a daunting journey. One highway does lead into the gap on the Panamanian side, but ends at the town of Yavisa. On the Colombian side, there are marked trails up to the border, but from Capurcana in Colombia to Yavisa in Panama is nothing but 60 miles of rainy, muddy, sweaty, parasite-ridden, snake-infested jungle, alongside the old familiar human perils like exploitation, robbery, and violence. Migrants must cross the border on foot, through the thick jungle, or monte, wading through rivers and clambering up muddy hills, facing snakes, biting insects, poisonous plants, crippling diseases and parasites, and sweltering humidity which racks the body and smothers the ability to think, at a time when one needs all their faculties alert and ready. Up to a thousand people per day begin this journey on foot, not to mention their children, families, and carrying whatever meager luggage they have, which now makes up the entirety of their earthly possessions. The Strange History of the Darien Gap the region of Darien is one of those geographical and historical peculiarities that's left its curious mark on the maps we use today and the lives of many people who pass through or around it. It's perhaps one of the only places left in the world, certainly in the Americas, that's almost completely ungoverned, although you could say the same about many areas covered in thick jungle, like the Amazon or the Congo in Africa, places that have yet to be overcome by modernity due to sheer inaccessibility, difficulty, and danger. But Darien is unique in its being the only land crossing between North and South America, part of the narrow isthmus of Panama, bordering Colombia, only a few dozen kilometers wide in some places. As the Earth's tectonic plates continue their slow, inexorable grinding under and around each other, the North and South American plates have separated, and what we now consider Panama and Central America is what remains. For thousands of years, ancestors of the Imbera, Tule Cuna, and dozens of other indigenous groups inhabited this region. Many of them still live there today. Indigenous Kuna people, for example, must cross between Colombia and Panama on a regular basis. The governments of those two countries have granted tribal members a special dispensation to do so. A representative of the Tule Kuna in Colombia told me that they must also have the approval of their cacique, or chief, to travel to another community, even if they do have a passport. Crossing the border without his say-so can get you punished or even exiled. During the Spanish conquista, or conquest, and the general pestilential outbreak of European colonialism, the area received the name of Darien after its Hispanicized name by another local indigenous group, the Cueva. Conquistadors later thanked the Cueva for the name by annihilating them. The Pan-American Highway, which spans 30,000 kilometers from north to south, is interrupted only by the Darien Gap. The reasons for this are many and complex, and will be the subject of another article. But for one reason or another, nobody wants this 66-mile gap in the complete inter-American highway system to be plugged. Ironic, since in Spanish, the name for the gap is El Tapón del Darien, meaning the plug. The name in Spanish is perhaps more apt, since one of the reasons for leaving the gap untouched is to prevent movement through the area, both of people, animals, and anything else. The existence of the gap is credited with keeping North America free of hoof-and-mouth disease, at least so far. The whole area is covered in thick, swampy jungle and is one of the rainiest places on Earth. Along with the sweltering equatorial heat and humidity, this enables rich, fecund insect and disease vectors, as well as sometimes leading to flash floods which sweep away migrants, even in their sleep. In short, this is one of the most dangerous hikes on Earth. Now, thousands of people who have given up everything to try and reach the United States, dreaming of a better life and a better future, risk it all to attempt the crossing every day, week, month, and year, even through the COVID pandemic. Migrants are not alone in the gap. Most NGOs and groups trying to help people here can't afford to send their staff into these dangerous jungles to assist migrants, so they end up setting up camps and aid stations on both sides of the jungle, then doing their best to help people who come out the other side. 
Some of them don't come out. They succumb to snake bite, heat stroke, dehydration, disease, violence from those who resent the presence of the migrants in their territory, or even from other migrants. Some become the victims of human trafficking and are never seen again. On the migrant crossing, there's a thriving underground economy of boat captains, motorcycle drivers, hospitality, and food providers along the way through Darien. They, along with paid guides and smugglers, we might call them coyotes farther north, extol and extort migrants for passage and assistance across the various stretches of the journey through the gap. Unsurprisingly, many of these forward-thinking, informal business people are not on the up-and-up, and many migrants become the victims of any kind of criminality you can imagine. Extortion, robbery, rape, attack, the litany of horrific things which people can inflict on one another in situations like this bears little repeating. We can look to history for plenty of examples. Along the migrants' trail, from their landing on some rugged, empty beach of the northern coast of South America, through Colombia and Panama, north through Costa Rica, Nicaragua, and the other Central American countries, then to Mexico and the U.S., their whole lives become informal. Most don't carry much cash, if any, and what they have they need to pay smugglers and transportation providers. Whatever's left must go to food, medicine, and other necessities. Being able to purchase what's needed in small amounts, whenever and wherever possible, as the need and opportunity arises, is critical for migrants. I'll resist the temptation to turn this into a chronicle of all the harsh conditions these people have to face during their epic journey. But to tie it all up, on top of that unbelievable trek, the final obstacle looms before everyone. The bureaucracy and armed might of the United States Customs and Border Protection Agency. Not to mention the Mexican, Honduran, Guatemalan, Nicaraguan, Costa Rican, even El Salvadorian and Belizean governments along the way. The Venezuela Factor Colombia was already dealing with a huge influx of migrants from Venezuela well before 2020, fleeing the economically disastrous consequences of the Nicolas Maduro regime's policies and decades of Chavismo, named after Hugo Chavez, the former bombastic leader of Venezuela, which resulted in hyperinflation and the total collapse of the country's currency, the Bolivar. I arrived in Colombia in early 2017, when the situation was just beginning to develop, and during my time there, I've seen millions of Venezuelans flooding across the border into Colombia, either temporarily or permanently. Some just wanted to ride out the storm before returning home, but many never wanted to go back. Depending on the source you consult, up to 5 million Venezuelans have fled to neighboring countries during the last several years. Colombia, which shares a large border with Venezuela, took a unique and admirable position during this particular migrant crisis. They decided to legalize everyone. In a move that benefited perhaps millions of people, the government granted a broad amnesty, giving Venezuelan migrants the ability to apply for a permit to reside and, crucially, to work in Colombia. One of the consequences of becoming a refugee is that any status or achievements from your former life are often wiped out. You give up everything to go looking for a better life. Many Venezuelans have taken low-appeal jobs like food delivery for services like Rappi, Domiciliarios, Uber Eats, and all the countless takeout restaurants and delivery services that are prolific in Colombia. But some of those people once held prestigious positions in their professions or communities. I once found myself taking a food delivery from a Venezuelan man who told me he was a doctor, but couldn't get his medical license certified in Colombia for some bureaucratic reason or another. He told me that he wasn't sure how he was ever going to work in a medical practice again. I mention this story not just to highlight the difficulty of situations like the doctors, but to point out the level of commitment and resilience required to leave your whole life behind in search of something better. Tremendous faith and a powerful sense of hope are required, both to dream of the possibility of a brighter future, but also to believe you can achieve it. Along with the willingness to sacrifice absolutely everything for you or your family, this is a human capacity which should be celebrated. Of course, Colombia is not a rich country. Mired in over half a century of internal conflict, with its roots going all the way back to independence in the early 1800s, 
as well as brutal tit-for-tat campaigns against narco-traffickers, paramilitaries, and a whole rainbow of armed separatist groups, the country was already in a difficult position with the Venezuelan crisis. When tens of thousands of people coming from the Caribbean, Africa, and the Middle East began showing up as well, the country had a real problem on its hands. They've done the best they can to manage the situation, but most of that consists of providing what assistance they can to people and seeing them on the way along their journey. Political Barriers to Migration Let's take a moment to highlight the efforts of Mexico, which has had to shoulder the burden of being the last stop on a long trip before reaching the promised land of the United States, where jobs can be had by all and the Coca-Cola flows like streams of milk and honey. Mexico has been forced to recognize that most of these people will not be able to enter the United States either by legal or illegal means, since there are just too many of them, and has begun a program to provide legal status to refugees and help them resettle as best they can in Mexico itself. Central American countries, like Panama, have permitted some migrants to remain inside their territory, mostly those with families in those countries, but they simply cannot cope with the human volume of people entering their territory and are forced to insist that most of them keep going. These are not always the most benevolent of governments, and plenty of instances of police, military, and customs brutality against migrants have been documented. Not to mention generalized xenophobia on the part of the local population themselves, and local people's fears often justified that criminals and bad elements among the migrants will cause problems for them as they pass through their country. Colombia in particular has struggled with this, having to cope with a certain amount of criminality amongst desperate refugees from Venezuela fleeing across their border. The United States has also adopted a Remain in Mexico policy for those applying for migrant status from the southern U.S. border, even for asylum seekers. Instead of allowing people to enter the country provisionally while their applications are processed, the border remains legally shut to these individuals until their application is approved, a process which can take months or even years. Many of them will resort to illegal smugglers to get them across the border, and some of those will even get through without being turned back or arrested. Understanding why people would resort to that sort of roll of the dice is sometimes difficult for those of us who live more comfortable, fixed lives. But all you have to do is look at all the other dice rolls these people have taken along the route, including the biggest one of all, leaving their home country in the first place. One of the astonishing things about this story is the almost universal nature of the intention these people all share. Every single one of them is dreaming about a better future in the United States, maybe in Mexico, but they're all willing to do whatever it takes to get there. The commitment is almost a religious one. Everyone knows that they share this one dream, and together they're making it into a reality almost through sheer force of gravity. Their numbers are so great and their determination so grim that there's little anyone can do to stem the tide. Most of these people are fleeing devastating economic, political, even climate-related problems like flooding or destructive weather in their home countries. Natural disasters like hurricanes and earthquakes, such as the massively destructive 2010 earthquake in Haiti, which resulted in an estimated 200,000 deaths and perhaps $8 billion in damages. Hurricanes regularly smash into the island, leaving thousands homeless. Just last year, in 2021, a powerful earthquake killed more than 2,200 people in Haiti. The country is consistently classified as the poorest in the Western Hemisphere, next to Nicaragua, and the government is notoriously corrupt, making their ability to cope with natural disasters almost non-existent. It's no wonder that a large percentage of migrants coming through the Darien Gap are from Haiti. Nobody becomes a refugee by choice, and the situation they face is a dire one, whether they stay or go. Countries, NGOs, community organizations, and individuals have all done what they can to help the migrants along their journey, but ultimately these people must face the danger and uncertainty of trekking across very dangerous terrain, like the jungles of the Darien Gap in Central America, through the deserts of northern Mexico and the southwestern United States. And not just dangerous terrain, but dangerous territory, both in a formal and informal sense. 
The political boundaries, as well as informal boundaries between rival criminal organizations and the constant need for vigilance against localized attack and exploitation, makes this journey of migration an astonishing affair. What they undertake is perhaps the most significant event in their lives, and I suspect the intensity level of the experience beats most experiences any of us will ever have during our lifetimes. How you can help with the migrant crisis. There are many NGOs and groups doing what they can to help migrant refugees in Darien and around the world. I'm not going to promote anyone in particular here, since I wouldn't know which to recommend anyway, and I wouldn't want to point to the wrong one. Try searching organizations helping migrant refugees and do a little research to find a reputable group if you want to donate or volunteer your time. Charity Watch is fantastic for digging a little deeper into organizations purporting to help migrants. If you want to see more images from the situation in Necocli, as well as other fascinating people and places from Colombia and around Latin America, check out Historias Sencias on Instagram, and you can find the link in the written article. The page of Federico Rios Escobar, a photographer who works with National Geographic and the New York Times, among other publications, photographing rural, indigenous, migrant, and other impacted communities and their stories. As for myself, the best I can do is continue to report on this story and publicize it as widely as possible. You can help me do that by subscribing and sharing this article and passing it on to a few friends or colleagues you think might be interested. We'll delve into the subject deeper in future articles, like the history of Central America, as well as connected issues like the war on drugs and the indigenous situation in the area and the region at large, as well as efforts underway to help alleviate many long-standing social issues which have become endemic in Colombia. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed that, please go ahead and subscribe to the Gone Native Substack. That's gonenative.substack.com. You can see the documentary, The Chocolate Dream, on YouTube at youtube.com slash godnative, where you can see all kinds of other short documentaries, videos, clips, vlogs, all kinds of interesting stuff. You can find me on social media at Gone Native Media, so Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or you can find archives, uh, everything that I've published on my website, milesburke.net. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, uh, any of those other apps, please go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Um, it really helps us out a lot, anything you can do to, to help boost the signal here. So thanks for listening, and I will see you next time. Saludos. Saludos.